This is an ABC podcast. Can you be more Pacific? On ABC Radio Australia. And welcome to another episode of Can You Be More Pacific? I'm Dean Hullitow, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Sarah Nangama. Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much, Dean. Bullet to all of our listeners. Coming up in the next hour, we have a lot coming up. We take a look back at the weekend in sport. We have an interview with AFLW star Jesse Tafio Wardlaw, and we have a new question for our favourite segment, You Can Ask That. But as we always like to do, Dean, what's been happening this week? Well, this week has been another normal week for me. I don't really get up to a lot other than working and then coming and recording this show with you guys. And um, But I did get to go out to Bathurst with my oldest daughter. I went out to the Bathurst game on the weekend, which uh, I always love going to regional areas and I love that the NRL takes games there. That was lots of fun. Um, we camped the night. We went and so we watched the game. Um, I had to work on the game. She watched the game. And then afterwards, we went and watched a movie, had some dinner. Aww. So it was good daddy-daughter time. I love that. Um, and she got a, a picky with Taylor and May after the game. So she was pretty happy with herself. Her, his name is spelt the same as hers, just with an N on the end. So that was her connection to Taylor May. I love that. She, I don't think she knew that he scored three tries, but she was um, <laughs> she was stoked to be there. You got some stories for us, Sarah? Um, well, firstly, that sounds like a very special weekend for myself. So I have a really bad habit of buying coffee. I think it's good every habit. yeah Not good bad. habit. Like I don't regret it. Like you know, people are like, "Oh, just think about how much money you spend at the end of the year." And I'm like, yada yada yada. I don't care. That's <laughs> not the point. We all love coffee, but I um I've been trying to be a little bit grown up. You know, bit grown up with my finances, and I'm like, not that it, like there's anything wrong. But I'm like, oh, I should probably try like that packet coffee, right? Like, you know, the sachet coffees. Yeah, yeah. And I have to say, I have been so thoroughly impressed with it, and I reckon in the past five days, I've purchased two coffees and not because I'm, oh, I don't, I don't want to spend any money. Like I am not that person because I'm just hopeless, but I am so impressed with packet coffee at the moment. You just get in enough out of the packet coffee that you're like, yeah, I don't need. Like I'm getting my three coffees out of it. Yeah. Three coffees in succession or in a day? In a day. Okay. That's in a right. day. But so that's, um, that's my breaking news is that I am making uh, some, t- I'm tightening up on my daily spend. And packet coffee is okay. Packet coffee is okay. Don't be too prideful, Sydney Siders. Don't be too prideful. <laughs> <laughs> what happened in the world of sport across the last week? Yes, there's been some exciting things that have happened, but none more so than Lance Buddy Franklin, who kicked his thousandth goal at the Sydney Cricket Ground uh, last Friday night at the clash between the Swans and Geelong. This was huge. And obviously this is something that's been building up for a while. There's been anticipation over the last few games. When's this going to happen? And uh, he took four goals. Oh, sorry. It took him four goals to get to a thousand on the weekend. And uh, it was quite a moment, I have to say. And, and I, I didn't watch the game uh, live, but watching back the replays of that moment, it was um, it would have felt so awesome to be in Buddy's shoes and, and experience what he experienced. Uh, but it, it was massive. You have to say it is a once in a generation type of achievement. There was over 25,000 people who spilled onto the field. His family was there and it's just such a special moment for him. So congratulations to none other than Buddy Franklin. What a legend. And we've got a piece here from Daniel Garb and Brett Sprigg who called the action for the ABC. Stevens, now the Swans can play on. The handball goes to Florent. Florent to Warner. They're looking for Buddy. Buddy's free on the lead. Buddy Franklin's got it. Buddy Franklin's got it. He is 35 metres out on a slight angle and every single supporter now runs to the edge of the SCG. He steps forward now. 
He's done it! <laughs> a legend joins the Immortals and achieves a feat we'll likely never see again. And the fans have rushed the SCG. This is awesome. I'm videoing this on my phone watching. I've got goosebumps on my arms. What a moment to be here. Absolutely incredible. I wish you could see what I'm watching right now. It is just unbelievable what I'm watching. Yeah, joining them were Ty Keneally and also Ryan O'Keefe. What a moment to be involved in. What a moment. I read that in 2008 he kicked 100 goals and we're now in 2022 and he's kicked his 1,000th. 14 a, years he's been building out his craft and he's achieved such such a milestone. He, he's, a, he's a real character of the game in terms of the support that he garners and um, great to have him in Sydney to be a swan and to, to do that in front of the SCG, out on the SCG I should say, was a huge moment. No doubt. Turning our attention to the AFLW, the Brisbane Lions are off to the MCG to play Melbourne in this Saturday's preliminary final after dismantling Collingwood by 50 points at the Gabba. Yeah, huge victory for the Brisbane Lions. They went 10-10-70 to Collingwood's 3-2-20. So a huge uh, victory for them and they're looking to go back-to-back. So it's going to be a huge game against the Melbourne Demons this weekend and uh yeah, they've got the form on the board at the moment with that victory and uh, confidence of, of being the defending title holders. Yes, I feel like there is some salt in the wind because the last time that the Brisbane Lions faced off the Demons, the Demons did beat them by three points. So there's everything to fight for this weekend. So no doubt it'll make a spectacular match. Will indeed. And as you mentioned earlier, we are catching up with Jessie Tafio Wardlaw and she picked up two goals in that victory over Collingwood. Um, so... Yeah, hopefully for her, it's, it's another successful week. Yes, go the girls. On to the Nepal Court. Tonga have won the Australia Pacific Nepal Series, which has been taking place here in Sydney. They defeated the Fiji Pearls 60-52, to 52, which was an incredible matchup. Incredible matchup. Tonga were fairly dominant across the whole series. series hey. So it was great uh, for them to cap off those strong performances with a victory. It was a physical encounter. That was, it was really tight for the entirety of the match. Tonga led at every break, but... Um, after the first quarter, things got a bit rough and there was uh, some argy-bargy, a bit of argy-bargy. I love that word. Bring it back. <laughs> um, but uh, of course, uh, it was always going to be an intense final. Yes. And all of this is in the lead up to the Oceania Netball World Cup qualifiers, which are scheduled to take place in July. So that is something that we will keep our close eye on. But congratulations to Tonga. Congratulations. Turning our attention to the Super Rugby Pacific competition last weekend was round six. And the match that I want to spotlight is the Moana Pacifica game against the Hurricanes. Moana Pacifica have had everything thrown at them this season and they have come away with their first win. Now, this was a big performance for Moana Pacifica. They've had a, a started start to the season because they had to delay matches or postpone due to COVID issues and... Uh, it was going to be hard for them to get anything going this season, but a huge win against a, a pretty strong side. It's a huge win. The match took place at Mount Smart Stadium in Auckland, and it was a game that had to go into Golden Point extra time. And this is the second time ever in the history of Super Rugby for a match to be decided in extra time. Sakopa Kepu, who is their captain, um, commented after the game that he always knew that their boys could do it. It was just about them being able to string together a performance and what a performance they did. They won against the Hurricanes, which is no small side. Like you're talking about the Barretts that are in that team and for them to come away with a result like this, it's it's really heartening. I love that they scored a try in extra time too. It wasn't decided by a field goal or a penalty goal. Danny Tawala got a, a try in golden point time. So um, I, I've never really watched golden point before in, in Super Rugby. So it's yeah. only the second time and um, excitement and 
what a way to win your, your first game in the Super Rugby competition. Yes. On the note of Moana Pacifica, they did have to play a couple of days later against the Blues. This is their round seven, which was a makeup round for the first round that they missed um, due to COVID. Uh, they went up against the Blues and unfortunately they lost 32 to 19. Yeah, difficult one to back up a few days after. That would have been such, uh, it would have been such a high, I should say, coming off the back of their first victory to, to only um, have a few days in between playing again and uh, the Blues, another strong side. So they couldn't keep that role going, but competitive nonetheless and good signs for them for the future. Well said. In the NRLW, which went into the final regular season round of the year, there were some really important matches. The, the Parramatta Eels were teetering on the edge of the top four. They wanted to play some finals football, so they needed a result against the heavily favoured uh, Broncos team, which has gone three competitions in a row. They're looking to make it four, and uh, it's it's a formidable side to come up against. Unfortunately for the Eels, who we uh, we barrack for, who we support. We're founding, we're, all three of us are founding members yes, for, all three of us, including our great producer, Rennell. Indeed, and uh, unfortunately they couldn't get the, the victory. The Eels, it was 38 to four, the Broncos won. And what that meant also was that the Dragons slipped out of first place. Uh, so the minor premiership went to the Broncos. They needed, I think, 24 points, uh, Differential, so 24 points plus to, to take the um, the minor premiership, and they did it in style. They won by 34 points. So well done to the Broncos on another minor premiership, another really strong season, and probably going into the finals as favourite once favourites once more, I should say. I agree, Dean. There's so much to look forward to in the Broncos side. There was a try from Amber Hall in that game, and this is how it went. Couple of metres out. Here's it's the punching run. Amber Hall goes in to secure the minor premiership for Brisbane. Amber Hall is a weapon, by the way. She had a strong game. She had a hand in a couple of other tries. Just strong running, great skills, and uh, just strength to, to score her own try. What a special moment. And over to the NRL, M Brown 3 took the scenes. Yeah, well, last Thursday, all the way back to last Thursday, the Sharks 36 defeated the Dragons 12. And this was a, a performance that caught my eye because the Sharks have come into this season with some new purchases and, and they look like a really strong outfit. Last year, they... Were competitive. They had up and down season due to um, their coach losing their coach early in the year, John Morris. Uh, so they probably weren't favoured going this year, even though that they've recruited well. They've got a new coach in Craig Fitzgibbon, but it was a, a performance where they really flexed their muscle. Nico Hines was huge. So Sifa Talakai, their back rower, was um, man of the match uh, on, on some people's books. And uh, yeah, some really impressive performances really really keen to see how the sharks go this year i've loved watching their opening uh, three rounds uh, other performances from the weekend that we'll touch on the panthers 38 defeated the knights 20 this was out at bathurst the game i mentioned that i went to uh, in the opener and uh, it was another strong performance by the defending premiers the knights pushed them a long way even though they uh, they had a player that was sent off the field yeah, it's really unfortunate that whole Mitch Barnett hit, but we'll talk about it a little bit later in the ruck. But nonetheless, what a performance from the Panthers. I'm really looking forward to seeing Nathan Cleary also rejoin the fold because we all know who my favourite player is in the NRL. Yes, yes, he's coming back. He's coming back. I've been waiting. Yep. I've been waiting. <laughs> in the meantime, Taylor May, who's uh, only two games into his career, had an outing on the weekend scoring three tries. How old is he? Uh, I'm going to say 19, I think. Wow. 19. Three tries, the first one went like this. 15 metres out on the last tackle, right in front of the post. Garoyes now, left to Luai, left foot stab kick. Flying through is Taylor May and he's got there to score. Opening points for Penrith. That is a Jerome Luai special. A little dab kick from about 15 metres out. Tago and May were chasing after it and it bounces into the chest of Taylor May. Taylor May's actually 20. I've just been informed by our... You've just been fact-checked. Yeah, fact-checked by Nelly. (laughs) 
I was close. You were close. Yeah. It's really exciting to see though, the emerging talent because, you know, we hear about Jerome Luai and we hear about the Nathan Clearers and the Brian Tortors, obviously, who is currently out at the moment. But then to see names like this, I think that's a, a name that will fill the score sheet a fair bit this year. Yeah, Brian Tortor, who you mentioned, is out. In steps Taylor May and scores three tries. So it's not a bad... Um, good depth. Yeah, good depth. Good depth. <laughs> <laughs> the last match that we'll talk about is the Raiders 24 over the Titans 22. This was down in the nation's capital. And this was a huge comeback victory from the Raiders. They were, they were down 22 points to nil. At one point, uh, Semi Valame scored a try in the 39th minute, so just before halftime, to put them on the scoreboard. And from that point on, they never looked back. And it was the Raiders flexing their muscle. Doesn't surprise me at all. We both know from experience that it's very hard to win down at Canberra Stadium. So to see a, a two-point difference like that and hearing that they had to claw back to secure the win, um, it sounds like the perfect Canberra tale to me. Yes. They're not the faders anymore. That's what Ooh, they were called. Oh, boy, that's strong. Yeah. I don't, what's the opposite of a fader if you come back from I'm behind? a raider. Raider. <laughs> raider. Not a fader. 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 You just like dropped a tune on me today. You dropped the tune then. What can I say? I, I just, bring the I put, vibes. I put the words there. I bring the vibes. Talanoa time on Can You Be More Pacific? This week for Talanoa time, we caught up with Jesse Tafio Wardlaw. It does sound a little bit different because we had to record it from our individual offices, but it was great to catch up with her. This week on Talanoa time, we're very lucky to be joined by Jesse Tafio Wardlaw. She is I play with the Brisbane Lions. They are in the prelims this week, hoping to cement a spot in the GF the following week, which would be the second time um, in two years that they've made it. Uh, she's born in New Zealand, raised in Brisbane, and is a gun in the AFLW. Jesse, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I guess, firstly, I, I want to go back all the way to the start and get a feel for you as a, as a youngster. What, what, what got you into the game of AFL? Yeah, so growing up, I never played AFL. I was always a netballer. So, um, yeah, all throughout school, growing up, played netball. And my dream was always to be a professional netballer. Um, when I was in year 11, I think they introduced AFL at my school. And I just loved, like, all sports. I played basketball, touch, whatever I could kind of do. And when they introduced a new sport, I was kind of just like, yeah, I'll give it a go, see, see how it goes. Um, so yeah, I was about 16 when I first played footy and I think coming from a netball background, there's two sports actually like quite similar in a way other than the kicking tackling aspect to it. But yeah, I picked it up super naturally and um, I think I still wanted to be a netballer at the time, but I had a lot of people in my ear saying you should really come consider giving AFL a go and go through the pathway and see how you go. and. Um, yeah, so we trialing out for all the teams and just kind of worked my way up to draft day. And then, yeah, 18 years old, got drafted into the Brisbane Lions. So, Jesse, you talk about draft day and it's something that I am certainly not familiar with in rugby union. What is What, what kind of emotions do you experience in the lead up to it? And what was it like when you, you, were, you were drafted to the Brisbane Lions? Yeah, it was um, yeah, a super nerve-wracking day. It, it, draft goes for quite a while and kind of just sitting there waiting for your team to have a pick and I think my year there were about six lines and each time they would have their pick I'd be crossing my fingers and my name wouldn't be called and like oh it's okay you know there's still five more and I was with my parents who were watching the draft um got down to the sixth pick and I was like okay like this is my last chance like if my name's not called here I'm not getting drafted and 
that I remember they just um, they said Jesse and I just was super like just celebrated with my parents, but they didn't even say my last name yet. And I'd already kind of just assumed, yep, that's me, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, because they kind of delayed saying the last name because they didn't know how to pronounce it. I was like, oh no, nah, I'm just saying that's me. Um, so yeah, it was super unreal feeling. Um, being with my parents was awesome. They've been like a huge support um, through my sporting career. So yeah, I think from then it was just what next? Like this is a new part of my journey. And um, yeah, since that day, been, yeah, an incredible journey. I've learned a lot being a part of the Brisbane Lions, and yeah, loving every moment of it. You've experienced so much success with the side in 2019. You debuted against the GWS Giants, which have been a huge moment. And now, I guess it's safe to say, do you regard yourself as one of the more senior players in the squad? Yeah, it is weird to say that. But yeah, this is my fourth year uh, with the Lions. And yeah, I guess I am one of the more experienced players now. But um, I still do feel like kind of the young ones um, at times. But it is cool to have that kind of, um, leader role to the girls that are coming in now, 18-year-old draftees, and being able to share my experiences and um, help them along the way as well. Jesse, I know you are still quite young um, and you've had that experience playing netball, that desire to, to represent it at a high level. Is that something you still have your sort of mind on, maybe at some stage uh, having a crack going, going across code? Yeah, I don't know. I've always kind of considered, oh, maybe, you know, if footy doesn't work out, I could try netball again. But growing up, like, I think I've always had a passion for sports. So I I always knew, like, I want to be a professional athlete because that's just what I love doing. I love training and committing myself to um, to the sport. But um, at the moment, like, with footy being so you know, successful and it being so much fun. I can't see myself swapping over, but it doesn't mean I wouldn't consider it in the future. Um, yeah, I love I love new challenges. So if, if yeah, that opportunity came up, would, yeah, consider it for sure. And what about you mentioned growing up and, and being sporty? Can you tell us a little bit about family life and uh, I guess the part that culture played uh, in your upbringing? Yeah, so, um, yeah, growing up, I, my family loved sport. My dad Love rugby union, rugby league, classic um, Kiwi family. Um, never heard of AFL before, but um, yeah, rugby would always be on TV. And yeah, I think that was a huge part of my uh, culture and family. It's definitely rugby league. And when I kind of was introduced to AFL, my family just had no idea what it was. I had no idea what it was. And even back home, all my family over there watch my games and every every game they're just learning learning the rules and um, learning about this foreign sport, but they love it so much because they get to watch me play. So, yeah, it's been awesome. That's really special. And heading into this um, this final, there's a, a spectacular match that's going to be taking place on the MCG, which has attracted so much hype. But, my goodness, what a platform to be able to play on. I bet you're looking forward to it. Yeah, for sure. Um, we knew that if we had won the game on the weekend, we'd be playing at the MCG. So I think that was a, a little bit more motivation. Um, being the first AFLW team to ever play there is such a huge milestone in itself. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, like there is a lot of hype, as you said, but at, this, at the end of the day, it's just a game of footy on a different oval. So as long as we can just go out there and play our game, like, I don't think um, it will affect us too much in the end. And what about the Melbourne Demons? What do you expect uh, from them? Uh, obviously, they finished 
a little bit higher on the table than you guys to, to finish the regular season. What are you looking forward to against them? Yeah, we had a um, really tough game against them during um, the home and away season. We went down by a couple points in the end, but it was a it was a super competitive game the whole way through. And um, yeah, I, I know they're going to be a tough challenge, but from that game, we've learned so much about the way we want to play. Um, and yeah, we're definitely expecting a super super tough and challenging game, but. Yeah, we know that if we can play the way we want to play, then, um, yeah, we should be able to come away with the win. And what about uh, who you're hoping, if, if you get away with the win and you go into the grand final, who's your preferred opponent uh, from the other prelim? Are you, are you hoping it's the Crows or the Dockers? That's a cheeky question, Hala. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting if it was Adelaide, it'd be, you know, the same two teams in, in a row. Um and we'd be playing Adelaide Oval again. But I think if we were to verse the Dockers, we'd get a home final. So I think that would be cool um, to verse Frio at the Gabba in front of the home fans and in front of our friends and family. So, yeah, if I were to choose, I'd definitely say the Dockers for sure. When you said the Gabba, I actually got goosebumps. It's so exciting. Like you're just talking about these prestigious grounds and it's just so cool, so cool that you get the opportunity to play on it. You have some big fixtures up ahead of you. I have to ask, do you have a game day ritual? Game day ritual, um, not really. I think when I first started, I tried to come up with this awesome routine that would help me, you know, get through the day. But the more I've played, the more I realised, like, I just need to keep it super chill and just go go with the flow because, like, there's a lot of uncontrollables at the moment with COVID affecting game day and um, travelling and everything. But, yeah, my routine is pretty pretty chill just go wake up get a coffee go for a walk um just chill out listen to some music read a book and then um once i get to the ground it's kind of focusing and game mode it sounds like a, a good way to prepare for a game to be nice and relaxed and uh ready to take on the opposition now we do have a, a segment we like to finish on and it's called tip on and Basically, I'll just root through a series of questions. We'll give you 60 seconds and just want you to say the first thing that comes to your mind. Uh, are you up for that? Yeah, easy. Let's do it. All right, let's go. What have you been reading, watching, or listening to lately? Um, I've been reading a book called Relentless about sports psychology and mindset. <laughs> Who was your most annoying teammate? Oh, 100% Dakota Davidson. I say this in every interview, but she's a big character and um she's a lot of fun but yeah we we love her but she can be annoying at times in a, in a funny way though <laughs> noted who is your sporting hero our sporting hero is probably maria tutile growing up like watching netball she's done all attack and i always want to be like her nice what would be your wrestler entrance song um probably the um x gone give it to you by exhibit yeah. yeah, big. I like that. What yeah. was your favourite movie as a kid? Oh, I love Shrek and all those types of movies. Still do love those types of movies. Shrek. That's a killer movie. Yeah. I like that. Well, Jesse, once again, thank you very much for joining us on Can You Be More Pacific? We wish you all the best in the prelim this weekend against the Melbourne Demons and hopefully you can uh, follow it up with a victory the week after to go back to back. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. You can ask that. Your chance to ask what it's really like to be an elite athlete on Can You Be More Pacific? It's time for You Can Ask That, our favourite segment, where we get a listener 
or you out there listening to us to send in a question that you have been thinking about for a while. It's good for a former or current athlete. I'm the former. Sarah's the current. Uh, if you have a question that you want to send us, can you please send it through to at Sarah Nengama or at Dean Hallett, our Instagram handles. This week, we've got a question coming from Billy in Nandy. Yes. And his question is, should coaches be former players or can non-players bring something to the game? Good question. This I like this because um, I think people debate whether or not if if a coach doesn't have playing credentials, how can they speak to what happens on the field? Mm-hmm. Have you had a coach before that you think, or well, not that I don't want you to out a coach, but have you had a coach before where if they weren't a player in the past that you didn't quite um, maybe get what they were saying or didn't want to listen to them as much? Yes. Yes, there's definitely been coaches, or I think there's one particular coach that he would ask us to do things, and I thought, you idiot, that makes no <laughs> sense. I'm like, makes sense because you didn't play. Like, <laughs> And it sounds really bad. It sounds really bad, but I think there is definitely that part as a player that you look for that kind of credential from your coach because you're like, well, you've been here, you know the grind. But that being said, I don't think that it diminishes the – the quality or the experience of a coach who may come into the fold and wasn't a player in their young days. And I think the the reasons why people may not have the opportunity to play the game at a high level, they vary and they're very valid. Some never got the crack. Some were good enough, but were never given the opportunity. Some had limiting health conditions. And um, I think it's just really important that with, you know, there are so many aspects to being a good coach. I think playing experience, something that weighs really heavily for for players because you're like, well, you get it. You've been here. You know what you're talking about. Um, but I do think that coaches who come into the fold and haven't had a great deal of playing experience um, have that kind of, I guess, what would be the word? Like not necessarily connection, but th- they demand the respect. Yeah, yeah. Same respect. I guess you're talking about like levels. Like if, if you haven't There's levels at, to this. Well, if you haven't played at the highest level, then does that not qualify you as a coach? Because I, th- I would think that most coaches – at some point have played it at a level. Yeah. Like, so it might have been junior junior days or played rep level or whatever. But um so that they most likely would have played the game, but maybe not in that environment at the elite level. So that's probably a part of the question that um that I'm thinking about. Like yeah. if they haven't played first grade, can they really speak to it? Well, we just saw recently that Maroons head coach Billy Slater has confirmed that Cameron Smith and Jonathan Thurston will join Josh Hane as their assistant coaches. This is huge, right? Like you're looking at iconic players who have done incredible things in the Maroon jersey. Players coming into the fold, they want to be around coaches. And you often hear players say, I want to go there because that coach is amazing or I've seen what he's done with X, Y, and Z. And that's that has pulling power. Rennell, I feel like you have something to say. I think just because you've been a player doesn't mean you'd make a good coach. You know, n- not all who do can teach, basically. That's and a good point. I think sometimes having that outside perspective can bring something different, you know, so that you're not just focused on things that the players are focused on. You're focused on the bigger picture. So I do wonder if some of the better coaches may not have been players necessarily. Well, I, th- I think about like some of the, the really good coaches that have been in the NRL over the last, uh, say, 20 years. So Wayne Bennett's one that sticks out. Wayne Bennett represented at the highest level. He played the game. Craig Bellamy played um, NRL level. I played in the New South Wales Rugby League competition back in the day, but he he played at the elite level. Trent Robinson didn't play NRL. Oh, he actually might have played one game or two games for the Parramatta Eels, but played at, a, at the reserve grade level, 
quite a bit, went overseas and coached overseas and then came back, played in the Super League actually. So he did play in the highest level over there. So there's, um, there's examples of those really elite coaches that did play the game. I, I'm struggling to think of players, sorry, coaches that hadn't played the game before. I'm not an advocate for having to play at the highest level to be a good coach. I agree that it is good to have outside perspective and, and good to um, see the game differently. There's sports all around the world where there would be coaches that didn't play elite level but end up being really good strat- like strategic coaches and have that oversight across uh, the sport that they're coaching in. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's a really valid point that you make, Nelly, because I think for me as a player, if I am told, oh, new coach is coming, first thing I'm going to say is, oh, where they coach before? And um, it's not that I wouldn't rate a, a coach coming in who hasn't had experience. It's just naturally as a player, I would find greater confidence in knowing that, oh, like that's just naturally the, my first response. But it's an interesting perspective because I think while they may not necessarily have had the playing experience compared to other people, it, it does not by any means um, put them out of the count. I, I will make a point. I think when you have former players as coaches that played with the team, I, I reckon it makes it harder because you kind of want to have the, have a bit of a fear or an awe of your coach. Like they command respect. Um, and I think if, if you have that, then it's easier to discipline your team when it needs to be done. When I reckon that's going to be the biggest challenge. And I've got no doubt that all the players would respect those three guys that are they're going to be coaching mm. the Maroons, the Maroon side, including Josh Hannay, who's going to be one of the coaches as well. But, um, if you've played alongside them or they're very recently retired, I think sometimes it's hard to crack the whip and be really angry. I absolutely agree with you. I've seen it with two of my friends who have, we were in a playing group last year together and this year one has gone into a coaching role and another has gone into an administrator role and they have kind of removed themselves from being firsthand with us as a playing group because they're like, particularly one of them was like, she's a director of rugby at the moment and she was like, I can't, I don't feel like I could coach you girls because you're my friends and I don't think that you guys would, not that she's like, I feel like you would disrespect me, but I don't demand the respect of a coach because you're still my friends and how am I supposed to discipline you? So it's a, it's a great conversation, honestly, because there are so many different perspectives that come into play. Great question. Thank you so much, Billy. Vinaka Billy. I hope life is treating you well in London, my friend. Um, that being said, please, please, please feel free to send us any questions that you have. Again, our handles are at Dean Halitau or at Serenangama on Instagram. Can you be more Pacific on ABC Radio Australia? Oh, my God. You're with Sarah and Dean talking all things sport across the Pacific. Don't go anywhere. We've still got our favourite socials. We tackle the top headlines in the rock and we take a look at what's coming up this weekend in sport. Time to change the pace. We'll head over to PNG to hear from our reporter on the ground, Peter Pasal. I have a special guest with me. Uh, his name is Tony Naidu. He's the general manager of Cricket PNG. First of all, welcome to the show, Tony. Thank you. Thank you for having me. The Barramundis are currently in the United Arab Emirates playing a series against the hosts UAE and also I think it's Nepal. Uh, just tell us about that first. Uh, yeah, so it's it's been uh, a really good uh, to be able to get them playing again and getting to play some regular cricket. Uh, so we, the Barras left about a month ago from home, uh, went down to the Gold Coast and had a camp at the perform- High Performance Centre there where the um, Hunters and I think the Fiji Drua are also based. Um, so that was really good to be able to train alongside them. But then you've you, you got to get out and go play some real cricket. So we um, 
went off to Dubai. We had a couple of games. We played UAE and um, we lost to them um, in a close uh, game. Um, and then we were down to the last um, over against uh, Nepal and we came out the wrong side of it, but we went all the way to the end. All right, and this is a World Cricket League uh, uh, tournament. What is the significance of that uh, for the Barrows? So this is the Cricket um, World Cup League 2, which, um, you know, that's the next step down after your Australia's and New Zealand's and um, all the other first-tier um, full-member nations. Uh, so th- this is quite significant in terms of our world rankings. Uh, they're all um, wonder international status. Uh, and and it's, it's when it comes to the, the ICC has expanded World Cups coming from 2024. So the, being high ranked, having those opportunities to make those World Cups is one of the key elements to our, um, our high performance strategy. And we believe that we've got the talent uh, and that we should be at... Um, men's and women's World Cups and this is a key element to it being able to play against these teams uh, we've got another series in the Cricket World Cup League 2 um, starting three weeks later where we're going to be playing Oman in Scotland uh, so we're getting a lot of cricket which is great after a couple of years of COVID Alright and uh, just in terms of uh, the performance of the players currently in, in Dubai and also at the T20 World Cup how are we doing Look, I, I think the, um, the first thing is to look at it in the context of cricket as a global game, you know, with over 100 uh, nations playing and to have our teams ranked in the top 20 in the world uh, is well and truly punching above our weight. Uh, you know, we've got uh, going to a first ever World Cup, uh, you know, you, you could see in that opening um, national anthem, John Ovia in tears, former Barrows player, assistant coach, and being held in, by Carl Sandry to kind of, it was, it was emotional. You could see our players played with that emotion and it got the better of them. You could definitely see there were nerves and, you know, the occasion was there. We had chances in, um, against Scotland and actually even at Bangladesh when we were bowling, uh, we put out a good performance. Individually, each of the players now can look at it and go, we're good enough. I mean, Asad Vala scored a 50, the first captain to score a 50 on debut in a World Cup. And that's, that's pretty powerful in your belief system. You look at a team like Scotland that beat Bangladesh, that was their 20th World Cup game. They'd lost 19 before that. In cricket, you lose a lot of games before you win a game. Uh, so we got to the big dance. We got there and we played and we competed. Now, what we've got to do from that is go, okay, how do we go next? And so that's part of like going and doing a high-performance camp um, in, um, in the Gold Coast first. And, uh, you know, being able to do things like that and, and start going, what does it take to go to the next level? What is the level of professionalism that we need to have? You know, it's one thing to um, go along in a smaller pond, <laughs> um, that's yeah. but that's a pretty big ocean when you get up to a World Cup. And um, even our uh, young under-19s going and facing the West Indies, facing Pakistan, facing England, um, that's, that's a long way from Amini Park. Um, but we're, we're, we want to bridge the gap and we're going to do the development and we know what it takes. And I think the players believe in themselves more now. Currently we have uh, you've gathered, I think, 48 or 50 
women uh, together, juniors, ages 17 to 19, and you're getting them ready for uh, selection, hopefully into uh, a higher level of, of it's, the game? It's, it's actually one of the most exciting things that's happened happening in cricket. Um, there's going to be an under-19 female World Cup for the first time, and that's going to be next year, uh, I believe in South Africa. Uh, and we qualify as a country with um, because we have significant numbers of girls playing cricket. So we're one of three countries in East Asia Pacific, which is our region, uh, excluding New Zealand and Australia, of course, that are automatically. But Indonesia, Samoa and ourselves are the three countries that have been allowed to enter a team into a qualifier. The qualifier is going to be in Bali in the first week of July, where we will play those teams, and the winner of that tournament is going to go straight to a World Cup. So it's a historic to be part of a first World Cup, so we absolutely want it. Um, We've never had a junior Lewis team, an under-19 side. So, um, so that's exciting. Uh, we've cast our net as wide as we can. Uh, I've had some people ask me, where do you find players? And I said, we asked anyone. I said, if you played hardball cricket and you want something, someone nominates you, then they'd get nominated. And then if you could provide your proof of birth, um, the birth, date of birth, uh, then we were willing to get you on a plane to come here. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we had all of that. Um, and that culminated in what's happening here, which is the Brian Bell Village World Cup Under-19 Series, which the New Zealand High Commission has also um, uh, helped fund us, which allowed us to be free with saying, um, you've got how many girls in Poppendetta? Okay, get them on a plane. You know, we weren't worried about that, and we, we were giving them the opportunity. They're getting, they came in yesterday... They're out there playing now. They're going to play again tomorrow. And at the end of it, there's 50 girls, I think it got out to, uh, will be naming a squad of 18. Those 18 girls are going to have three months of training. Uh, any that aren't vaccinated, because some are younger, but we get exceptions, um, they will, um, but they'll still be 17 and allowed. But um, they will be vaccinated on Monday morning because... The eight-week uh, difference between it only allows about two weeks before we fly out of the country. Uh, but we'll be full-on training them. And then uh, with the hope, anticipation, expectation that we will qualify, um, no disrespect to Indonesia or Samoa, uh, their coach is a good friend of mine, uh, but uh, I believe our girls, from what I've seen, uh, have got the quality. They've played. Um, there's a lot of talent. Three months of coaching, at, with our high-level coaches, I was talking to Mahuru Dai, Jack Vare, and going, look at the, these girls. They might have a little thing here or there, but surely we're, we're cricket PNG. We've got the best coaches, we've got the best facilities. Surely we can turn this in three months good enough for that. And then if we win that, then we've got another six, seven, eight months to make them, not saying they're going to beat Australia or New Zealand, but to be competitive, to get better. And to, look, it's opportunities when you talk to um, these young girls coming from villages, um, you know, 25, I believe, are outside of Port Moresby. Um, you know, whether they're from um, Rigo, the central... Um, yeah, we've rural gone, areas. Yeah, rural areas, Alatau, Popendetta, yeah. Lay. Yeah, we've gone, areas. we've cast the net everywhere and said, you know, we want you. Um, so if some of them, uh, the other ones make it, if they don't make it, They've had a great experience, and we're going to keep doing things like this. This Village World Cup series, um, and also the academies we're starting to develop um, in terms of going year-on-year. Year. Develop, cricket development 
is not something that happens overnight. You don't uncover the next Asadvala just like that. Um, having the experience of in New Zealand um, with uh, all the systems and processes and competition structures we have in place and the pathways, um, I know a little bit about that. So I'm just trying to bring that to PNG with the PNG flavour because it is it is different. It, it is, um, there's different challenges, but there's also different opportunities from it. All right, uh, Tony, thank you very much uh, for coming on the show. Can you be more specific on ABC Sport Radio? Thanks, Peter. It's, uh, it's great to hear that cricket is on the way up in PNG and that there's a focus on the women's game as well. Yeah, it's really exciting. He's talking about all these girls who are juniors and they're looking to compete at uh, a World Cup. So it's good to know that there are programs in place to be able to equip them with the skills they need. And I'm sure there's more to come in that space. Can you be more Pacific? Keeping it social. It's time for keeping it social. Sarah, what have you scoured the internet and found this week? My social of the week comes from Rugbycom AU Instagram and Taniela Tupo, a.k.a. the Tongan Thor, has once again menaced our screens and there was a piece of footage from the Red v Waratahs game which took place last week where the camera is zoned in on him because there's been a stoppage and the man is, one, unwrapping a piece of chewy, puts it in his mouth, and then the camera focuses in onto his humongous calves and he's got one Queensland red sock on and then an ankle sock. He's just refused to put his sock on in the second half. Here's a bit of audio of how it all went down. Has Tani Latupo got no socks on? Has he cut his socks off? But right, I don't think he's put the sock on in the second half. And he's thrown a handful of PK back into the gob. <laughs> back into the gob. <laughs> it's Tani Latupo. Say less. Great character. Any explanation coming for why that? Why he's wearing one sock? I have no idea, but it's the most bizarre looking thing because he's got a proper sock and then he's got an ankle sock. I have <laughs> never seen that. Also, I have never seen that. He also seems very oblivious to what's going on around him as he's yeah. unwrapping his chewing gum to And like because his shirt's partially up so you can see a bit of his box. So it's just it's all happening and I just love it. Because Tony Latupo, people would be like, Oh my god, I'm so impressed, but he'd be like, Yeah, whatever, man. He's not getting his socks up over his calves anyway, even no. if he's wearing the normal socks. Fun fact, when as we know, he plays for the Wallabies and there was a time when we were both in Perth, the Wallaroos and the Wallabies, and he was taught to us that it takes two massage therapists when they have team massages to go through him. Yeah, no doubt. I was like, <laughs> that's, that's hard. <laughs> I was like, well, if I was as big a Tony Yellow Tupo, then I could have two massage therapists. Do you, do you reckon when they go in, you know, like when you have team massage, you've got to yeah. put your name up on the whiteboard? <laughs> yes. the massage therapist must go, oh. Damn. Yeah, I've got to work on Tanyala. I've got to put my back into this one. <laughs> um, but that's fine. What's yours? Well, I've doubled up. Last week, I, I, I shared one of. Uh, Xavier Coates being scared to run up the stairs uh, because the lights were turning <laughs> off. Like he's a bit. Of, I made a point of that. He's he gets scared quite easily, and I don't want to. I'm not trying to be mean to him, but he got caught out again by his. It appears that it's his roommate Trent Loyero from the Melbourne Storm uh, hiding in his cupboard. This is what it sounded like. <laughs> Head over to that the, high pitch. <laughs> jump on for our listeners. Jump on uh, NRL Roast Instagram page and, and scroll down to you find this one because there's going to be. I, I got a feeling there's going to be just a whole heap of more of these. Trent Lawyer is not a very good roommate because he just keeps scaring him. Anyway, he was hiding in the cupboard, as you'll see. Uh, Xavier walks into the room to pick up his laptop or something like that. It's sitting on a bed, and Trent, Trent Lawyer jumps out and scares him and. He hits the deck screaming and his legs are flopping all over the place like a flounder. I don't know. It's, it's a it's funny. a it's a proper scene. It's very funny. But yes, I think there's going to he should just compile all the videos and then that can be your highlight of the year at the end. It could be. I'm just gonna stick on Trent Lawyer's uh, 
Instagram page to, to capture all my socials every week. Very good. In the rut. Tackling the tough headlines in sport on Can You Be More Pacific? This week in the Ruck, we have a couple of tough headlines to tackle. And the first one being of Mitch Barnett. In the game on the weekend, he was sent off after a brain snap and basically is facing a six-game suspension. Yeah, pretty hefty suspension here for Mitch Barnett. It was a bad moment and uh, there was quite a bit of noise around it afterwards, but it, was, it wasn't picked up straight away. It was something that um, I only came up watching a few angles on the replay and, and this is what it sounded like live. The Panthers are about to bring Chris Smith, I think it is, yep. about to come from the field with, with a HIA. I think they're looking at why Chris Smith's leaving the field. Chris Smith was almost a decoy runner and the ball went past him, so... Raise forearm, direct contact with the head. Oh, hang on. Okay, I need Mitch Barnett. Well, based on that report, that's a send-off. Raise forearm, direct to the head. Yeah, has I'm been happy, reviewed. I can tell you that. There's a raised forearm, there's direct contact with the head. Yeah. Off! A sensation here in Bathurst. Mitch Barnett has been sent off. But again, I don't think the referee, we haven't seen, I can't tell you whether it's horrendous or iffy, but when you get a report that it's a raised forearm direct to the head, the referee, I don't think, has any choice but to do what he's done here. Yeah, that was the voice of Andrew Moore alongside Matt Elliott and Michael Karianis, and you could hear how shocked they were at what happened. The fact that it was a raised forearm and it had to be no other option than a send-off. Yeah, I think it's a it's punishment that fits the crime. And now Mitch will not be available to play until round 10. So it's a big price to pay, but that's, that's what you get. Yes, we don't like to see those sorts of things in the game. Now, back on Friday night, there was a game out at Campbelltown between the Tigers and also the Warriors, who have both been struggling for a victory. The Warriors came away with their first of the season. Uh, but the Tigers fans are a little bit miffed at um, a potential try-scoring opportunity that wasn't referred. Yes, in the first half, Luke Brooks put a grabber through, which Luciano Lelua did collect and put down. But the referee's decision on field was that it wasn't a try, although to everyone else's eye, it looked like one. But he didn't send it to the bunker, which caused a fair bit of controversy. Yeah, the fans weren't happy about it and neither was their coach. Yeah, I just don't understand that. I really don't understand when you've got that much technology in our game that you can't go back and see it. It's ridiculous, really. I mean, you know, they're big moments for teams that are, you know, feeling or going through a period like we are. You know, they're they're game changers, as we know, and, uh, yeah, we had an opportunity at the back end, but it changes the mentality within a game. It's really interesting. Dean, I know you work at the NRL, but what is the insight in the bunker when it comes to things like that? Well, any in-goal decision that's made, the bunker reviews it anyway, so they're looking at it um, anyway. So, that's one thing. Uh, I can understand his frustration, Michael McGuire's. I don't think it was a try. I've watched it a few times. People will be split on it, which is if it's sent up and awarded a try, people will up say that wasn't a try. Um, so it goes either way for me yeah. on that. I, I applaud the referee for making a decision in that a lot of the time we hear people, oh, the, the bunker comes in too much. We want referees to be confident and make their, make their decision. Glenn Lauder mentioned it in the call on Friday night and um, he backed that the referee made a decision from what he's seen. And I watched an angle of the replay. The referee was right in line with it, was only a few metres away. So he had a, a fairly clear look at it and he made a call. So I, I know I'm always supporting referees and, um, and, and backing them, but I, I think he made a call that he was convinced that it was no try. I'd back that it was no try. 
but the the point that I think um, Michael Maguire was raising was maybe it was worth a look. It was that close, which is a fair point, I think, as well. But in that time, it was reviewed before it went back to the twenty meter line by the by the bunker officials. I don't know if this is a stupid question, but can you captain's challenge a try? You can yes, the captain could have challenged that as well. Okay, so there was an opportunity to that, do so. That would have been captain. A captain's challenge would have been on that play itself. So was it knocked back? Uh, was it grounded? Was it? Or did it go over the dead ball line? Those sorts of things. So they could have, they could have challenged it had they wanted to. Mm, interesting. Good question, but thank you. I don't know. If, I don't know if one of their five captains thought of that on the night. Well, look, I'm not just a pretty face and a husky voice. <laughs> <laughs> five captains. That'll do me. ABC Radio Australia. Can you be more Pacific? Unfortunately, that's all we have time for. So if you miss the show or you just want to listen to the magic again, it'll be replayed on Friday, 2 p.m. PNG time, or you can find all of our episodes on the Radio Australia website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's all the Bye there. More Pacific, an ABC Sport production for ABC Radio Australia. This program has been funded by the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade.